Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode number 55 of Thyroid Nation Radio Live talk show and podcast. I'm Anna Bowman, founder of ThyroidNation.com. And I'm Tiffany Mladenich of GratefulGarden.biz. You have to forgive me today. My voice is a little scratchy. I'm trying not to get this uh, club that's going around. Sex pot. (laughs) Well, thank you. Woo. I should try to get seen more often. Today we are talking with the amazing, beloved, best-selling author and functional medicine practitioner, Dr. Datisse Karazian. We are so excited. Dr. Karazian is considered one of the leading experts in non-pharmaceutical applications to chronic illnesses, autoimmune disorders, and complex neurological disorders, and serves as an associate clinical professor for the Department of Preventative Medicine at Loma Linda University School of Medicine, as well as adjunct professor at the National University of Health Services or Health Sciences at Bastyr University. He is currently completing his PhD in health sciences with doctoral doctor, boy doctoral research in immunology at Nova Southeastern University and a postdoctorate clinical research scholar program at Harvard Medical School. He has published several scientific papers in the field of nutrition, autoimmunity, toxicology, and is conducting research in autoimmune molecular mimicry and environmentally induced immune reactivity. Wow. That is more than a mouthful. He is more than overly qualified, and we cannot oh wait to talk to him. I, seriously, for, for, for Dana and I both, this is just a, such a privilege to be able to interview him and and share all of this amazing information that he puts forth with, with everybody. Anyways, we are so, I just, seriously, I can't tell you how excited Dan and I are to talk with him, but first, just a couple things. If you've missed any of the Thyroid Nation podcasts, you can easily download and listen to them at your leisure on iTunes, Stitcher. Dana, tell us what Stitcher is. <laughs> I don't think you have I've to never heard of it. that before. Huh? <laughs> you don't have to download anything. It is. Um, it's just a platform to listen to to podcasts and and music. Mm. That's it. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so there you go. There you have it. Stitcher, iTunes, and then you don't have to download it. People, lots of people. I prefer that actually. Um, and stay tuned as Dana turns each show into an article that you listen to uh, and can, or can easily reference and read, which I love too. I love that. <laughs> Depends on what mood I'm in. <laughs> Or where my brain is, uh, so Dr. Kazarian can help me where I can do it uh, either way. <laughs> you and I are both in perfect form for today. <laughs> Aren't we? So excited. Huh? I said we are so excited, and he's got a new program out, Spanish Brain Fog. It looks really exciting and very interesting. comes with, you know, of course, him. It's a six-week program, and it's got materials and all kinds of support so you got to check that out we've got an ad on on the front page of thyroid nation and uh you can definitely check it out and sign up i know lots of people are already who already signed up and uh have emailed me and are looking forward to it so check that out banished brain fog i believe it's the six week brain rescue program rescue plan Mm -hmm. that's very cool very cool Very, very cool. And I, well, uh, I know. Yeah, no, I don't think he's with us just yet. 
he's not with us just yet. He's a he's a busy man, right? He's crazy busy. I can't even imagine. I know that he consults with other practitioners and difficult neurological cases and and things like that. We have so many questions for him. Dr. K, we are ready. <laughs> we are so ready. <laughs> I know that I actually um uh, Dr. Mark Ryan, I know, is a student of his, and Dr. Krasian is, is his mentor. And I know that um, I saw he, they are doing some kind of live webinar today. So I wonder if they're together right now um, working oh, that wow. out. I don't know, but I do know that today he is filming with Dr. Karazian, so I think that's pretty cool too. Oh, that is very cool. Mark Ryan is super smart, like amazing. I love yeah. his articles and stuff, yeah. He amazing, is super amazing. Smart. And he, the way he lays his articles out, I just love. Yeah, you know, there's some people that are easier to read than others. Um, I won't mention any names, but I, there's a practitioner that I just absolutely think is phenomenal, and I just can't, I can't get through the articles the way that it's formatted. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds terrible, but. Um, I mean, I definitely forced myself through some of them, but um, they're difficult to read. They're hard to stay with, you know. I mean, some articles flow real easily, and and then some articles, well, some especially scientific are. papers, can be so yes. overwhelming. Like there's such a massive amount of information that you're just like exhausted halfway through. You're like, well, gee whiz, I mean, the amount of information that's being put forth is craziness. Well, and there are so many people who when they write that they have such a scientific brain and that's the way their brain thinks. That's the only way they can, they can explain it. And right. uh, if you've got a scientific mind, then uh, those, are, those are perfect for you, right? Right. That's too funny. You know, there's transcriptioners for physicians. <laughs> they need to have transcriptioners that actually, you know, revise. At the same time, I don't think they're allowed to do that. I don't know, but I don't think they're allowed to do that. You know, to make it more easily referenced and formatted and and all that good stuff. Well, here we go, Dana. It looks like Dr. K is with us, so let's get this Thyroid Nation thriving. Good morning, Dr. K. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, we would love to have you. So excited. How do you pronounce your last name? It's Kazarian? It's a tough one. It's Karazian. Karazian. All right. I just always refer to you as Dr. K. Everyone knows who that is. <laughs> yeah, it's a well, tough name. Go ahead. Well, I was just oh, going to say that that we're we're thrilled to have you on. I know that you're really, really very busy, and I even saw a note from we were talking about, I don't know if you heard or not, uh, that uh, Mark Ryan is going to be filming with you today. Is that correct? Yes, later today we're going to do it, and Mark wants to do an interview, so um, we're going to do that later today after this call. See? Oh, I told you. You're a busy man. Yeah. (laughs) So it's really great you're doing all these uh, different types of educational forums to get people information about that, right? That's a wonderful thing you're doing. Thank you. We've been been working on it. We've been working on it. We, um... We want to pick your brain because you are the, <laughs> the forefront of, of brain health. So let's just jump right in, Tiff. Okay, great. Absolutely. Okay, so you talk so much about there's not enough time. We could, we could do like an eight-hour session here. But uh, why and how does the brain get inflamed? 
so the, the brain gets inflamed from systemic... So anytime you have any inflammation in the body, the brain is vulnerable for any type of uh, reaction. So within the brain, there's these types of cells called glial cells, and glia is Latin for glue. And years ago, they used to really think that they did nothing but glue neurons together, but these glial cells out, um, out proportion actual neurons in the brain. So there's 10 glial cells for every one neuron, and if you actually weigh the brain itself, the mass of the brain, there's there's actually more glial cell weight than there is neuron weight. So most of the brain is actually immune cells, which is very interesting. So these these immune cells, yeah, these immune cells get activated from any 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 cause of inflammation, whether it's inflammation from foods, inflammation from reactions that happen when you eat too much sugar, like an insulin surge, inflammation from uh, infections inflammation from, you know, environmental mechanisms. So the more inflammation we have over our lifespan, the more inflamed our brains become. So the, when you look at thyroid patients, unfortunately, you know, most thyroid patients have Hashimoto's, which is in the autoimmune thyroid disease. But that disease process itself is very inflammatory, that despite their diet, nutrition, and lifestyle, they're just prone for inflammation because their immune system has become overzealous. So we see a high degree of brain degeneration with people that have hypothyroidism. And then when you look at most Hashimoto's patients, they're really stuck in this web where they have, most of them have reactions to gluten and then cross-react with other food proteins like uh, dairy and corn and soy, and then they have intestinal permeability, and then they have dominance of their T-helper system. Many of them are vitamin D deficient, and they have vitamin D receptor sites that don't uh, process vitamin D properly, which promotes more inflammation. They have uh, many times other autoimmune diseases that get triggered. They have blood sugar fluctuations. So when you take the average web of a Hashimoto's patient, they have so many inflammatory mechanisms that then cause brain inflammation. And then once they get brain inflammation, um, most of the research is showing that the major causes for depression today are really inflammatory. And many thyroid patients are very frustrated because they finally feel like they got their thyroid meds under control and their lab tests are told they're normal, but they still suffer from depression or they can't think or focus and they still get really tired when they try to use their brain. And they don't understand that the actual pathophysiology, the web of Hashimoto's, is creating this inflammatory reaction, which is actually degenerating their brain, and it's more than just a thyroid model. Hmm. There, There is a... Look, there's our first... Uh flower field moment flower so field much moment. information yeah yeah you know it's so amazing that we answer, talk so much about no no that's okay flower field moments are what it, it came with stacy robbins in the beginning when we had just this moment of resonance when it was just quiet between the both of us <laughs> just so much information and you're resonating with so many things that are being said uh, i know for me in particular uh and dana too but uh, it just gets real quiet and it's almost just like an oh wow a moment. <laughs> Processing information. Well, that so alone, we call it our we call it our we call it our flower field moment, Dr. K. <laughs> well, thank you. And that we alone, and Dr. we. Um, I was just going to say, I know that you, I know that you're you're friends with Stacy, and we actually uh, created a an essential oils blend uh, product line uh, because that's Tiffany's oh, uh, forte. And um, and she and we sent Stacy her own blend because we we uh, we coined you know the flower filled moments and we uh, 
we named one of our products after that because of Stacy and sent sent it to her, and she just loves it. So just because you know her, I just wanted to tell you I thought it was very cool, right? Yeah, Stacy is really a great person, and I think she really adds a component to healing yourself when you have Hashimoto's, which is really critical. And if people aren't familiar with her work, uh, it's really something to look into. Yeah, it definitely. is. It's a. It's a. She's just so amazingly soothing, just as an individual, the way she speaks, and yes, I find her very therapeutic. <laughs> I just her all in her. Yeah. <laughs> I do too. Plus, she's hilarious. So that just makes it even better. Yeah. Okay, so let's let's jump right into the nitty gritty, and because there's a couple of things okay. that you said there that I think don't get addressed as often as. Um, so two things. One, you talked about vitamin D receptor issues, and vitamin D is such an issue, and and everyone is is so deficient, especially in Southern California. And a lot of people think, well, I'm outside all the time, and so you talked about vitamin D receptor issues. That was the first one, and then the second one I want to ask you about. You said, you know, brain inflammation, and unfortunately, mainstream medicine deals so much with, you know, sed rate and CRP and things like that. People can have very low rates of that but yet have an, a massive amount of brain inflammation. Is that is that a true statement? Yes. So let me answer the first part uh, and, then, and, then, and then move into the second part. So there's a lot of uh, research being done in Hashimoto's and different autoimmune diseases, and there's some characteristics that they find with, with Hashimoto's people related to vitamin D. So there's what they call a VDR uh, polymorphism, vitamin D receptor polymorphism. Polymorphism is a, a gene uniqueness that people that have the genotype for Hashimoto's, which is an HLA genotype, um, they tend to have um, vitamin D receptor site inefficiency, which is actually very interesting because what it means is even if their vitamin D levels look normal in a lab test, they're actually inefficient in the receptor site response, many of them. So they still actually need more than just being inside the normal reference range. But as you know, uh, and most people suffering from Hashimoto's know, that vitamin D gets depleted from inflammation itself. So many but many Hashimoto's patients usually will get their vitamin D checked. And like you said, despite being out in sun, sunlight and being active, they still have very low levels because there's this, there's this thought process that vitamin D, you should be adequate if you're on the sun, but that's not how this works. It's also about vitamin D gets used up when you're inflamed. So what we see is we see a lot of Hashimoto's uh, individuals or hypothyroid individuals where they get tested for vitamin D, they're very low, and then sometimes they take it and the levels don't go up because they still have this underlying inflammatory issue. So that's one key key part of it. And vitamin D is essential for anyone that has an autoimmune disease because um, they activate, vitamin D activates T regulatory cells and regulatory T cells are the main immune players that calm down the autoimmune response. So we know there's uh, lots of vitamin D receptors on these T-Rex cells, and, and, and when people take vitamin D, there's a positive impact on their function. So when you have a person or a patient population or a group of people that have a condition like hypothyroidism that tend to actually be Hashimoto's that have these vitamin D receptor site polymorphisms, or, or a great majority of them do, then what you have is you have not only the potential to have less effect, even though you're taking it in adequate amounts and have a normal reference range. But you add on top of, add on top of that people that are chronically inflamed from their condition and then deficient in vitamin D, you have major weak link in their autoimmune management. Now, the second part of your question related to ESR and C-reactive protein. So, urethrocyte sedimentation rate and uh, C 
CRP or markers for inflammation, but they're not really good markers for chronic inflammation, and there's certainly not any indication of any degree of brain inflammation. So, I mean, most people that have a severe inflammatory response in their brain, like traumatic brain injury that immediately inflames the brain uh, that can be seen on a CT scan, don't have elevations of C-reactive protein and ESR, which are lab markers for inflammation. So those tend to be a very good acute uh, inflammatory model, but they're not really the best marker for so brain inflammation. So many Hashimoto's patients, as a pattern of their condition, actually have brain inflammation and, uh, you know, normal CRP and ESR level. What is a good marker for that, Dr. Karagian? There is really no good marker for brain inflammation. Uh, in the very acute traumatic stages, you can see some of that in imaging. But for the most part, you don't really see it. So just to make it really simple, every single neurodegenerative disease, whether you're looking at dementia or Parkinson's, has an inflammatory component to it. So the degree of inflammation doesn't really get picked up until they do postpartum uh, brain slices and they can see markers of inflammation. Now, the big, the big trend right now is uh, in research is looking at traumatic brain injuries with all the uh, soldiers and NFL players unfortunately getting traumatic brain injuries. What they're finding is that they're having continued symptoms for years on. And they're calling this uh, post-traumatic encephalitis, encephalitis being brain inflammation. So they know that when people get an inflammatory cascade, uh, it goes on for years and years and years. And the problem that these researchers are having is they don't know how to document the inflammation. They don't know what lab markers to use. They don't know what imaging tests to use because they're not available. But they know over time that these people that have traumatic brain injuries, which creates a very aggressive inflammatory reaction in the brain, they uh, start to have changes in personality. They start to get uh, brain fog. They lose the ability to focus and think. Their motivation gets compromised. They get depression. So those are the key things that are symptoms associated with it. So we don't really have available um, a lab marker or an imaging study for chronic inflammation of the brain. That's, what, that's what's unfortunate about it. However, inflammation does cause some very unique changes to how neurons function. So the way the brain works and the way neurons work is they fire into each other, and this is called nerve conduction. So there's a speed of how nerves fire into each other. And the faster nerves fire into each other, the faster your cognitive speed, the faster your mental speed. Well, people who have brain inflammation, they don't have that synapse firing fast enough because inflammation slows down nerve conduction. So they get brain fog, they lose the ability to focus, they lose the ability to concentrate, they can't find words. And that's one of the biggest indications that someone actually has an inflamed brain. Well, you're talking about both of us, I have to tell you, Dr. Karasian. <laughs> that is both of us right there. <laughs> Well, I think you're not That's alone. Sure. You know, for me, uh, I wrote um, the thyroid book years ago, and I was really shocked by the response to that book. And um, all of a sudden, there was an immediate thyroid Hashimoto's community that was really interested in knowing how to help themselves. And then the next step is, well, I have a lot more to share with them. And the next part of it was really to design a book, a second part of the thyroid book, and really, the second part of the thyroid book is really this, this, this part related to the brain. But it's really hard to promote a book on thyroid brain because not many thyroid patients think that they have anything going on with their brain. They think all their symptoms are thyroid. So we just ended up it's thyroid. That into a, okay. Amen. Yeah, we can, you know, that? everybody that? thinks that fixing the fixing the thyroid and 
having an optimal thyroid hormone is going to fix everything. And then when they get there, right, and they're like, oh, I still have brain fog, I still have fatigue, I still have body aches, you know. And then they go into their physician and say, I need more T3 or I need more thyroid hormone. It's so frustrating. So there is there is what we call the thyroid dream, and I don't mean to belittle you know anyone's thoughts, but but there is this dream that many thyroid patients have is if they find the perfect thyroid replacement, whether it's T4 or T3 combo or bioidentical or just get the right dose, that all of a sudden everything will go away, and that is very frustrating for people that have thyroid conditions that they finally find out that that's not going to happen. Um, but they're still searching and they're still confused because we've created this model where you take a single pill and you get better. And that's really what's been even taught in mainstream. Your thyroid gland doesn't work. The reason you have some of your symptoms is because you don't have this hormone. And if we give you this hormone, you're fine. And now your lab tests are normal, so everything else you have is insignificant. That's just that's just psychiatric issues or you just, you know, you need to do other things, to exercise or be happy, and, and these things aren't really what's going on. So when people actually develop hypothyroidism, they have this whole autoimmune process that's very inflammatory, and they get intestinal permeability and multiple food reactions and lose their chemical tolerance. They start to have mechanisms like we talked about related to brain inflammation. They start to lose bone density. They start to get gallbladder uh, formation, gallstone formations. They lose their integration of areas of the brain where they have digestion called vagus. They lose enzyme production. This whole cascade of things goes on. And the interesting thing is when you take thyroid replacement, it doesn't turn off the autoimmune response. It doesn't turn off the inflammation. So that's why we see now a complete change. In, uh, and I think the, the book we wrote back in 2010 had something to do with that because up until, if you look at all the published books, everyone was still saying, you need to take bioidentical T3 and take iodine. And that's the treatment of choice if you have hypothyroid and avoid gordogenic foods, which is all completely outdated. But we see once we got the word out to to thyroid patients directly, because uh, I was trying to teach this material to practitioners for over a decade and just never made much difference. But once we got the book out to thyroid patients, they could actually start to look at their condition differently. And then when people started going on an autoimmune-type diet and people started to have an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, they finally started to see some change in how they function. But unfortunately, one of the key factors, and this is why I was trying to make my second book on the brain, was hypothyroidism over a period of time causes degeneration on the brain. So many of the persistent symptoms aren't just due to leaky gut. Many of the symptoms aren't just due to vitamin D deficiency. Many of the symptoms that they still suffer, like focus, concentration, depression issues, motivation, energy, is really related to some degree of accelerated brain degeneration. And they also, in addition to being experts in managing their own autoimmune disease, have to become experts in managing their own brain health and understanding that that's a component to some of their symptoms and what things they can do to improve that function. Well, I have to say that this is a total downer. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean to be a downer, but here's the thing. If you don't know, if you, no, if you don't teasing, know, but yeah, but if you don't teasing. know, you have no chance to fix it. If you know, then you have a chance, right? So that's the key that's thing. That's right. That's right. That's There's the a silver positive. lining to all this. That's the silver lining. There you go. So tell well, let, me, let me give you some, let me no, give you go some good news. <laughs> the good news is this. The brain has this concept called plasticity that even neurons, even that we may lose neurons over time, we have the ability for neurons to connect to each other. That this brain, the brain has this huge potential 
to recover, to be able to connect to each, each other, neurons to connect to each Yay. other and begin functioning. <laughs> so, you know, we see people all the time. You see people have massive brain injuries and strokes and they can't walk and talk and they go into rehab and they, they're able to do those things again. So um, it's not all downhill. There's a lot of positive things that, that we can look forward to, but we have to realize that many times with people that have ongoing persistent symptoms, which they think are thyroid, are really brain, and if they can learn how to improve their brain function and, and think about that and understand that, then they may be able to get these neurons to connect together and develop plasticity and get the next level of improvement in their health, right? Right. That's right. So one quick thing, you mentioned a lot about autoimmunity. So is there a correlation yes. for a practitioner, for a physician? You have people that, you know, because um, there's, there's certain groups out there, some are you know, take massive amounts of iodine, some are focused on your autoimmunity, some are, I mean, there's just so many schools of thought, but, um, and we are going to get to iodine because we do want your opinion and, sure. and, you know, problems that it causes. It's super important for many functions mm-hmm. in the body, but we're going to get to that. But mm-hmm. one thing I want to ask you, is there a correlation for a practitioner as far as uh, the level of autoimmunity? So Dana and I are always amazed when we talk to people, it's always fun for us to ask, you know, what was your TSH? Where were your antibodies? So you can have people that are so critically sick, and they're like, well, my TSH was like a 4, and my, you know, my uh, antibodies were like 200, and we were expecting like, you know, 50 and 3,000, you know. So it doesn't always correlate numbers-wise. Can you explain uh, to the listeners a little bit about that? Okay, so you asked a lot of different questions in your question, but let me try to think. Focus on the last <laughs> thing you said, which was, <laughs> which was the thyroid antibody quantity itself and how it relates to correlates to the actual effect of the disease process. Correct? Yes. Like how how yes. higher the numbers is it? If you have a TSH of 1500, is that worse than a TSH of 200? Right. And exactly. Why don't we, we see, see that lots focus? of people? We actually talk to people that are like, oh, my, you know, my TSH was 50 and my antibodies were 3,000, and I didn't know. Like, it was caught in a doctor's office, and we're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Where some people can be like a four and, you know, have antibodies right. that are 300, and they felt like they were going to die tomorrow. Exactly. So let me explain that. So, um, you know, the thing about, first of all, your, your levels doesn't necessarily mean that you're worse or, or better. Okay, so a person who has antibodies of 500 doesn't mean that they're actually much worse than a person who has antibodies of 200. And let me explain why. So there's two parts to causing the autoimmune reaction against tissue, okay? The first part is your immune system makes antibodies through cells called B cells. So when you have an autoimmune disease, what's, what's abnormal is your immune system is actually making antibodies to your own tissue, and in Hashimoto's or hypothyroid Hashimoto's, what's happening is the immune system is making antibodies to um, its own thyroid tissue. The person's making antibodies to its own thyroid tissue, which it shouldn't do. It shouldn't make antibodies to its own tissue. I mean, usually we make antibodies to bacteria and viruses and pathogens. So this whole concept of autoimmunity that's dysfunctional is you start to make antibodies to your own tissue. But the interesting thing is, is that the antibodies attach to tissue, but they don't destroy the tissue. So the antibodies themselves are not destructive. The antibodies then stick to tissue and circulating uh, cells called natural killer cells and cytotoxic T cells then see the antibody attached to the tissue and then destroy the tissue. 
Okay. So the destructive part of uh, an autoimmune response is actually the T-cell natural killer response, not the antibody reaction. So how this translates into real life is this. You could have someone who has uh, a slight elevation of thyroid antibodies, but they have massive T-cell, natural killer cell activity, so their thyroid gets destroyed really quickly. Then you can have another person who's got very high antibodies, but their T-cell response is not very aggressive. Antibodies are attaching to tissue. There isn't enough destructive cells acting on those antibody-attached tissues to destroy it. So antibodies themselves are not destructive. Antibodies just give you an indication that a person has a disease process that's positive or negative. And to be honest with you, it's sometimes funner to see people with higher antibodies because it looks like you've done so much more clinically if you see someone has antibodies of 400 or 1,000 go down to normal at some point than someone who was slightly up go back to normal. But I think what you guys are hearing about and seeing is what everyone in clinical practice sees too is there's, they don't really see that correlation with the higher number of antibody count and the, the severity of the disease. And again, that's because the antibodies themselves don't destroy anything. It's that T-cell component. So with advanced immunology testing, we can measure that. We can measure their T-cell response. We can measure their natural cell activity, and we can see how aggressive that reaction is. So with people that have very severe autoimmunity, they have the combination of very uh, significant antibodies and very high T-cell responses. And then you have the spectrum in between all those. So does that answer the question? Yes, absolutely. And unfortunately, most thyroid patients when you're dealing in, in mainstream Western medicine, of course not functional or integrative, they're much more, I think, thorough. But for the people that are stuck in mainstream Western medicine, none of that ever gets tested. You just, you know, you go to your endocrinologist, they tell you everything is normal. You can go to your neurologist and they'll tell you that the MRI, the brain looks fine. But no one gets into the immunology of those patients. And so we get lost in a large hole. It's very sad. And that's the that's the unfortunate that's the unfortunate part of it. And you know, when you look at medicine, we don't have an autoimmunologist. You know, there's a gastrologist, there's a neurologist, there is a rheumatologist for joint diseases. There is no specialist for autoimmunity. So it's this, this right. area where many people suffer from the condition, but there's no actual training and and um, medical specialty for autoimmunity. We have certain infectious disease specialists out there. So we have cardiologists and all these other specialists, but we don't have one for autoimmunity. So when you develop an autoimmune disease, there's no, there's the, you know, there's no one directly specifically to go to in the model we have. And this is why it's so frustrating for people who have it because they're searching from one practitioner to the next. And all these different specialists, whether they're a neurologist or an endocrinologist, or they never really thought of, their condition from the autoimmune perspective because of their training, even though it's right, very it's clear in the literature what these things are. Right. Yeah, and they're trying to manage it. Yeah, I mean, if you're an endocrinologist, you're just going to basically be thinking, well, how do I get this person's replacement dose under control? And that's the model you've always used. That's the model you know how to use. But the patient may not fall in that model if their mechanism for their symptoms is really the autoimmune you know, flare-ups that are causing it. Wow. Right. Exactly. Amen. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you yes. know, it's so funny when we yes. talk to, when Dana and I talk to, of course, we, we talk to thyroid people. So majority of, and I think if not all of the practitioners that we've talked to are functional and integrative. And we hear the testing and we hear all this stuff yeah. and we're like, 
Oh, come on. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, the whole medical model needs to go entirely integrative and functional. That is the future of medicine. That's just the way it's going to be, right, guys? It's going to be that way. <laughs> there's no choice. I think so. Uh, it has to be. Well, I think it has to be. It has I think to be. There's gonna, yeah. well, well, I think for the patient, I mean, I think what we're seeing is a trend. Like if you, if you go on Amazon and look at the top best healthcare books, they're almost all written by functional medicine practitioners. If you look at Dr. Oz, he was a functional medicine practitioner. He was going to the, all the IFM conferences before his show, and he was trying to change the healthcare model. He's now, you know, doing it the best he can with the environment he's in. But when you look at um, where things are going, it's in that route. So I teach fourth-year medical students at Loma Linda School of Medicine. They have a preventive medicine elective on functional medicine, and we're seeing, you know, a very high number of students, uh, fourth-year students, really pick that elective as one of the key things they do. So last... Uh, Last this last class we taught, we, we pretty much maxed out. We couldn't take any more students because of the room we had. But we're seeing an interest now with medical students wanting to learn this. And it's also very interesting. I work with Institute of Functional Medicine, and and, uh, and I know in the past they've done some surveys, and they and the Institute of Functional Medicine put through 100,000 practitioners through the certification program, and at this point, about 80% of them are medical physicians. And the question they asked how they the question they asked these medical physicians how they got into functional medicine was what brought you in? And the number one answer was they got sick or a family member got sick. Mm, right? right. So I think it eventually starts to happen that way, but unfortunately we do have healthcare policy and insurance models and things that have a don't don't incorporate this into their form of testing and reimbursement. So I think we're still a long way for seeing the entire insurance model change. But as far as personal individual choice, it's very clear that's happening. And what you guys are doing on this show and what myself and other people are doing as authors and educators is all helping in that movement. But, you know, I think it's going to take time. It is. We just have to keep moving forward. You know, I, I always tell people that are stuck, unfortunately, in the mainstream model is, you know, print out articles by their peers and, you know, demand politely for, for certain things and, you know, obviously, first, you know, first and foremost, if you can afford or make that a priority, because a lot of people say, well, I can't afford to go see a functional or an integrative practitioner. I don't have that kind of money. But if you added up all the Starbucks and, you know, I mean, people have more money than they think it's a matter of priority. So, but, you know, we, we need it to change. So we have to demand more. When the patients demand more and they say this isn't enough, and when we, you know, it, it will change. But but people, you know, it's a, a law of supply and demand, right? So if everyone stops well, going to their doctor and makes their functional <laughs> and integrative practitioner a priority, then Western medicine is going to go, uh, <laughs> we, need some, uh, we need some patients here, <laughs> right? Well, I think what's happening, what's, happening already, what's happening already is, number one, a lot of medical physicians are just completely burned out uh, because – the model they're engaging in, and these are very good people that wanted to learn how to help people, right? But oh, we had an explosion of chronic disease take place, and they were trained in a very acute-based model. Acute, right. So the training, the training they have is great for many acute-related conditions that we all depend upon. But then when we get to the group of people that are suffering from a chronic disease, like an autoimmune disease, they're not really, they really haven't been given the tools they need to, to, to really help them. So, you know, they get frustrated, too, because their patients are frustrated, and 
you know, as a healthcare practitioner, when you go into the office and you're trying to do your best to help a patient and you can't because you just can't figure out what's going on, it is really um, depleting in your sense of self and it is exhausting. And I think at some point some practitioners just turn to become total jerks and they they, they become different people. I mean, I talk to lots of physicians and they say they do that sometimes because they're so burnt out and they're very ashamed of doing it. They feel bad about doing it. but And then they end up quitting practice. So we're seeing that it's having a toll not only on patients, but it's having a toll also on, on practitioners, that a lot of these practitioners are just as impacted by a model that's not working. Um, and they've spent their entire life trying to figure out ways to help people that just weren't trained in chronic disease management. But I think right. the trend that's happening and the new trend is this. <clears throat> if you're a person who suffers from a chronic disease like Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism, you have to be an expert in your condition. The, the, if you have a chronic disease, you can't walk into the healthcare field, be passive, and just be told what pills to take, whether it's supplements or medication, and then be okay with it, manage your case. So it becomes to the point where the most successful outcomes with patients are the ones where the patient themselves are highly motivated, highly educated, and they're out there, you know, figuring things out for themselves. In a sense, they become their own doctor. And when you become chronically ill and have an autoimmune disease, you, in a sense, have to become your own doctor um, to some degree. I mean, you need to get help. You need to consult other people. But you have to – you also get to the point where you don't trust anyone. You don't know what to believe, and you have your own community, and you have to try things for yourself. And many of the things that happen when you have autoimmunity – and your immune system starts to become very overactive, is there's some very unique things that only happen to you but not to other people, such as a food reaction or a chemical reaction or another autoimmune tissue reaction. So it's, it's kind of, I think the transition is the patient, first of all, can no longer be passive. The patient has to become active. They want to have good outcomes. They have to commit to their care. Um, there's going to be some degree of putting in your own finances into your health that it's not going to fit into the insurance care model. And there's got to be some degree of motivation to value um, that, you know, as a, you're, you're investing in your own health. These are the these are the things that, that we all see as happening as a trend, but it's not always easy for people to jump into it if they're sick. And not feeling no, so isn't. well. Can, so, yeah, right, and not feeling so well. They have brain fog and not feeling and so well. No yeah. energy, no brain. I mean, you read research papers and you're like, are you kidding me? <laughs> but let's move, yeah. let's move, Dr. Doctor K, let's move into, because with hypothyroidism and Hashimoto's and even hyperthyroidism, there is so much that's in the patient's hands for themselves. It's not always about your medications and whatever, even inflammation and all of these things can come right yep. down to what they're putting in their mouth. So let's talk about yep. that. What What's in the patient's hands for brain inflammation and autoimmunity that we can do for ourselves entirely leaving, you know, um, not leaving our physician out of it, but a lot of times, you know, you ask your physician about what to eat, once again, unless it's yeah. an integrative or functional practitioner, they look at you like, what? <laughs> So what can we do for yeah. ourselves to help with brain inflammation and things like that? Because I know for me, unfortunately, yeah. it's directly correlated with what I put in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 very true. So, well, I mean, I think the most obvious thing is most 
listeners that listen to your show probably already know is that we know there's a very high correlation with gluten. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you either are gluten-free or you're not. There's no, you're not looking for trace levels and you're looking for other potential exposures to it. And all you're doing is just not eating bread. That's not enough. That you have to really become an expert to be gluten-free. We know that gluten has structural similarity with other proteins like milk, corn, even rice and sesame have all been shown to be very reactive um, uh, to people that are gluten sensitive. We know that for the most part, many new proteins like soy protein, corn protein, um, because new proteins being that they've been hybridized or genetically modified, become very inflammatory for autoimmune patients. So we see the trend where the autoimmune paleo diet is really one of the initial first steps you should take if you have an autoimmune disease, right? And, you know, we, we we talked about this diet years ago and years ago. We never called it the autoimmune paleo diet. <laughs> We've written about it, published on it. But now it's a term that's being used. But um, it's basically an anti-inflammatory immune-triggering diet. Now, the other thing that I think people neglect, because there's, I mean, from my experience, there's two types of, um, well, not two types. There's some common patterns you see with people that are suffering through Hashimoto's. One of them is, well, I eat perfect, still don't know why I'm sick. And then the other group, well, I'm not really perfect with my food choices, but it's really hard for me. I don't know. It's impossible to do. So the ones that it's impossible to do, like you can't just get off gluten or dairy, it's not food. You just need to know. There's just a degree of not feeling well you will never have, and you will continue to progress, and other tissues will start to show up as an autoimmune reactions over time. And there's the point of not returning back the same degree of health you have. So it is really critical you avoid some food protein triggers. Now, the other group uh, of, of patients that the uh, population see with people that are suffering with thyroid conditions are the ones who eat everything as they should. They're gluten-free, they're dairy-free, they're eating um, healthy plant-based, plant-based foods, organic foods, but they're still having diet cause some of their Hashimoto's, and those are usually people that are hypoglycemic mm. by lifestyle. So those are the ones who miss their meals. They're the ones who don't eat until eight hours later until they get shaky, lightheaded, and cranky. What they don't realize is when their blood sugar levels drop, there's an inflammatory cascade that takes place, and there's an insulin surge that takes place, and there's an adrenaline-cortisol reaction that takes place to get their blood sugar up. So we see another key group of people are the ones who are eating foods properly, but when they get their blood sugar levels low and they feel shaky, lightheaded, and irritable, they're actually triggering their autoimmune disease. They're actually triggering their inflammatory reaction. So when your blood sugar levels drop, you actually release something called interleukin-6 to activate the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal axis. But interleukin-6 and other messenger proteins that are triggered to bring your blood sugar back up also trigger an inflammatory response, which turns on glial cells on the brain, which then creates brain inflammation. And this, these inflammatory proteins that, get sh- that shift um, and get produced when your blood sugar levels drop, also promote the autoimmune disease. So you can slide so the other pattern we see as it just relates to diet are people who eat all the right food choices, but they continue to let their blood sugar levels drop. So, I mean, I've had in my own practice, that's the only thing we've done with some really um, highly motivated, educated thyroid patients who just neglected that one thing and we got them to really stop having the blood sugar levels drop and have a huge turnaround in their health. So I think... We know that there's inflammatory foods, and we also know that there is, there are um, 
blood sugar spikes that can impact not only their autoimmune disease, but their brain inflammation also. Right, not to mention that the proceeding of people who carb load can end up in that low blood sugar. I'm a food-controlled diabetic since 19, so when people carb load, they end up in that same low blood sugar. They just peak first, and then, you know, they're like on skis going downhill. Yeah, Yeah, so the simple simple way we do it, the way we do it clinically is we say this, how do you feel after you eat? If you feel tired, that means you've had an insulin surge. It's usually from eating too much, even if it's healthy foods, and that creates its own problems. And then if you get energized, that means your blood sugar was low. The normal change in energy after a person eats is no change. The only thing that should happen after you eat is you're no longer hungry. So it's an improvement in energy or a crash, a feeling of crashing and being tired after you eat are all red flags that there's a blood sugar problem going on. And this is one of the things that promotes brain inflammation as well as autoimmunity. So I'm going to have to throw in a, a personal question, Dr. K, if that's okay. okay. Being a food-controlled oh, diabetic, absolutely. of course, the, the ratio of protein, fat, carbohydrate is, is key for me in, in not being on medication and, and doing well. So one problem that I have had in trying to switch to an autoimmune paleo diet is that yeah. there normally, as a general rule, are not enough carbohydrates for me, and I end up dropping my blood sugar too quickly. So for people, and and I also, um, you know, you hear of people with adrenal issues that require more carbohydrates too. Any uh, tips or tricks uh, from a practitioner on being able to to combine those three conditions together uh, well? Yes. So the the real answer is there is no percentages or or charts to follow, follow through that you have to do some trial and error, and mm-hmm. every person is unique to it. So there's no way to know unless, <laughs> unless you do trial and error. That this is what's so, you know, you know, whenever I read some things people write and they talk about certain percentage of things they have to do, I immediately know as a clinician they have never practiced because right. <laughs> there's the reality of mm-hmm. how this works, especially with autoimmunity, is everyone has their own degree of blood sugar intolerances. Some people have severe reactions to some foods, some foods cause the, the inflammatory reaction for some foods also impact blood sugar and some of the receptor site sensitivity. So there's there's this level of you just have to play around and try it. But what we do is we do teach patients like, listen, when you get tired after you eat, that's not that's not a good that's not a good sign. So look at what you ate and right. try to reduce your carb load or sugar load and, and get that under control. At the same time, if you feel really shaky, lightheaded, and irritable, you've gone too long without eating. So sometimes just knowing right. those simple principles. And then playing the trial and error game lets them figure out what they need to do. Well, and even activity. You know, um, when I had gone through, um, with my first child, I had gone through um, a program um, at uh, Desert Hospital called Sweet Success, which was a fabulous model. But they stuck with the 1530, the, you know, 15 grams protein, 30 grams carbohydrates. But if you're going to Disneyland for the day or you're going hiking in Joshua Tree for the day or you're, you know, you're obviously going to require a different, you know, a little bit different percentages and, you know, so we love the fact that you say everyone is so unique. And not only that, but what you combine in that 1530, what types of foods is going to affect you differently, right? So you can't just, so we love that. We love the fact that you say that everyone is is unique, and you really have to do some trial and error and, and what works for you. That's, yay, there's, 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 oh. no, there's no There is no other clinical way. There really isn't. 
No. And, you know, the other, the other thing I think it's important to know is that there's many, so one of the most common target sites, so Hashimoto's is a disease, and research shows that over 50% of the people that have Hashimoto's have other autoimmunity, okay? So the most common other target site for Hashimoto's people is the pancreas, and they actually have the underlying type 1 di- diabetes, and they may not know it. So um, if you haven't checked yourself, wow. forget, antibodies, forget antibodies or islet cell antibodies, you should check that. Whatever we see clinically, a person who's got Hashimoto's hypothyroid and they're diabetic, especially if they're eating well and they still have difficulty controlling the blood sugar, there's a very high likeliness that they have this autoimmune diabetes too. Now, what's happening is they're not insulin dependent, so the, the healthcare model is kind of ignoring them. And, you know, type 1 is traditionally used for people that have autoimmune diabetes and type 2 for those that don't have insulin requirement, insulin uh, placement needs. But this condition where people have a subtle autoimmune against their pancreas is now actually being called in the scientific literature and the medical literature as type 1.5. They, have, no. they actually have an autoimmune component destroying their pancreas, so they're having a really hard time stabilizing their blood sugar but they're not clearly type 1 insulin-dependent autoimmune diabetic, just like thyroid mm-hmm. patients. They, yeah. So there's a lot of overlap with that. But the interesting thing, too, is that many times the foods that people eat can actually cause more of their autoimmune reaction against their pancreas. So certain foods have molecular mimicry with, with GABA, GAD, uh, GAD, the enzyme that's involved in pancreas with type 1, and islet cell. Like milk protein, there's some papers published in journals like New England Journal of Medicine, um, Journal of American Medical Association, where they find milk proteins may have some correlation with flaring up type 1 diabetes. So, you know, a little bit of trace, a little bit of milk in your coffee, and you have a little type 1 tendencies can all of a sudden make you not be able to stabilize your blood sugar after breakfast. And you might think it's the ratio of carbs or proteins, but it was that little amount of milk that was added into it that caused that inflammatory reaction against the pancreas and caused abnormal insulin reaction, you know. My brain wow, that's is another flower filled moment. <laughs> right? Flower filled moment. My brain is buttons. reeling. We need one of those oh. buttons, Dr. K, where you go, we push it and you hear angels. <laughs> right? Because, wow, okay, we just need to sit with that one. That's a big that's a big thing, and not many people know that, and I've never heard it, and Tiff's never heard it, and that's a big thing. Wow, okay. Well, we're working on you know, it. There's a lot of. <clears throat> I have to tell you, there's a lot of information that we have to, we, we're trying to get out there. And, um, you know, we, we really are been working on the second edition for a thyroid book for a long time. But we keep doing research in the lab and keep finding new things. And we we'll hopefully can get it out maybe in a year or so. Um, again, we're trying. But these little things are really, really common. And, and I think I think people, that we have enough people now that have done the basics that need to know what to do next, Right. I mean, there's still a, a lot of people that just need to avoid gluten as one thing, right? But right, that's, the point a, we're that's having an easy can-do. Right. There's, there's now there's a really group of highly uh, intelligent, very diverse, uh, well-read thyroid patients that have done all these things, but there's little trivial things like this they don't know about, and if they know about it, it can make the biggest difference, you know. Right. So, well, it's great you're doing your show, and I'm happy to... Come on, whenever you like, and share any of the things we're doing. But um, we're, you know, we, we need to get that to these kind of concepts out to people that are trying to help themselves feel better. You know, I have got 
two quick questions, and of course, I'm I'm like the queen of throwing ten questions in one, and I apologize. It's yes, unfortunate. <laughs> try and make this simple but I do want to get it in because uh you know um both of them are so important and and not very frequently get get addressed but the first one is the great debate of iodine can you tell us Dr. K's because we talk to amazingly smart people well researched well educated and they're just completely on both sides of the board so tell us as far as brain is concerned, well, how does Dr. K feel about iodine? Well, this is, well first, let me just throw this out there. And I've been throwing out this for a long time, whenever this topic comes out. We need to formalize a debate with the experts that's public. Amen. And really talk about the literature. <laughs> yes. We've been the saying that, that haven't we, have, we? The problem we have is that people reference some research that are researchers, and then the average patient doesn't read the paper or understand the interpretation of these research studies. But when someone references a paper and you just can and you can tear apart the paper and that the facts and conclusions of the research is not what they're saying, it really I think would end this debate really, really quickly. So Ooh, I was hoping that Sean Cruxton would do that, you, you know. Yeah. Yes. And you know, I, I put it out there to the other experts um out there and I'm waiting, you know, and we still never hear anything back from them and and whenever there's a interview or something public, we're ready to do it because this is a, this is an issue that there's a lot of confusion with. And um, let me try to answer it the best I can, okay? Please. So the iodine debate. <laughs> okay. So without question, iodine is a critical nutrient. It's essential for many biological processes. It's really one of the key things that helps things like fibrocystic breast and helps reduce uh, risk for many types of diseases and tumors. It's an essential nutrient, and many people in the U.S. are iodine deficient, just like they are calcium and magnesium and mineral and across the board, okay? Mm-hmm. So so that's the first thing I'd like to say, okay? okay? Now, the second part, the second position is this. So there's no arguments about that. There's no argument that people need no. iodine, that there's iodine deficiency. Everyone agrees with that. That's not the area of debate, Okay. But that's what people sometimes argue as a reason to take iodine. You know, like, hey, we have deficiency. Yes, we know that. That's not the issue. The issue is, is iodine a concern for people that have Hashimoto's? Okay. So the the answer is, for many people, it is. And if you don't know, you have to be careful. So there's lots of actual papers published, and and the list keeps growing and growing and growing, where iodine tends to flare up people that have Hashimoto's. And most of this research that was initially done was, was like one of the biggest uh, studies they've ever did that really started to answer this, really bring this up, was a paper published in the New England Journal of Medicine. In the New England Journal of Medicine, people can criticize it by being anti-alternative, but it's the number one medical journal in the world. And it goes to the strictest standards for publishing papers. And let me put it this way. If you publish the New England Journal of Medicine, you've made it as a researcher, Okay. Cool. Mm-hmm. So okay. there was a paper published Which in you have. Medicine where they. You have? Uh, that's true. I haven't. No, no, I haven't yet. No. <laughs> oh, no, I thought you did. No, no. But a paper published in it. So the New England Journal of Medicine, they did a study back in 1999 where they looked at, um, I think it was, well, the number was 11,000 or 12,000, somewhere between 11 and 12,000 subjects. And they were looking for areas where there were iodine deficiency. And they were doing ultrasound and they were doing. TSH, T4, T3, 
to the ultrasound of the thyroid, they're checking their urinary iodine level, and their intent was to improve iodine efficiency in those regions. So they gave these patients iodine, and it improved their iodine levels and their deficiencies. But there was an explosion of autoimmunity related to Hashimoto's with them. Mm. And this exact type of study was done at least 20 other locations throughout the world, okay? Because some people have argued, well, China is selenium deficient. They've done this in multiple regions throughout the world, okay? So we know that that's where this started. Now, as time has gone on, now there's papers being published like, hey, what if we do iodine restriction? So there is a research study done where they actually restricted iodine intake, and they saw an 86% remission of Hashimoto's people. They actually got better within a few weeks. So we have that data. But here's the basic concept. Iodine stimulates... So when you ingest iodine, iodine is taken up and utilized by your body, but the thyroid gland has what's called an iodine trap. And there's certain enzymes that are rate-limiting that when they get influenced by a factor, they turn off. So when your thyroid takes an iodine through an thyroid trap that, that it transports into the tissue that turns on the enzyme TPO, and you start to synthesize and produce more TPO. Well, TPO is the autoimmune target site for Hashimoto's. So the thought process is, if you ingest this iodine, you have an immediate surge of TPO. This TPO production creates more target proteins for the autoimmune reaction. And this is why there's all these iodine-induced thyroiditis research out there. This is one of the key mechanisms. Now... Mm. You have people coming in and saying, well, there's research on selenium that it counteracts this. There isn't research on that. There's inference on that, and it's literally made up in the Internet. So that's the, the arguments people make for it have no support for what they say. So, again, we really need to have a, a real debate where, where people submit all the research papers for their points of view. Each party gets to look at it and then critique it, and then there's a debate about it. Okay, and I think once you do that, it's, it's really clear. Now, outside of what's been it published, because if you're looking at, it needs to be done. you're looking at what's yeah. being, yeah, if you're looking at what's being published, there's no argument. It's just that simple. If you're looking at what's actually in the scientific literature, there's no argument, and iodine can potentially be a trigger. Now, let's talk about real life and clinical practice. Is it a trigger for everyone? No, it's not. It is not a trigger for every Hashimoto's patient. But we don't know who they are, and this is where things get a little scary if you're a clinician and trying to work and help with our patient. So the first thing Especially that Especially ones those like that are do, iodine deficient, right? That's a slippery yeah. slope, I would imagine. There's no it there's no like slope. set amount, right? For some people there's no set amount because right. there's iodine in thyroid medication. So if you're taking exactly. a supplement, you know, pretty much as a general rule, you're you're close to five hundred, you know, uh microgram I can't remember this micrograms, I think it's micrograms, but so is there a safe it, amount? Well, that's the thing. So let's talk about that. So this is this is where this fuels the controversy because it's frustrating because it, there isn't a perfect answer for this because there's people that are deficient and have Hashimoto's, right? There's so not the a perfect answer, right? So yes, go ahead. So which is which is the reality with many mechanisms of chronic diseases because you're trying to do the least harm and trying to support the best you can for whatever their issues are. Now here's the thing. Um, when I when I work with our patients, the model that I teach and other practitioners have been implementing that then we get their feedback too, is when someone comes in with Hashimoto's, the first question you clinically ask is, where is the rest of the autoimmunity? Because like I was saying, more than half of Hashimoto's patients have antibodies in other tissues. So some are diabetic and they don't know they have type 1 diabetes markers, autoimmune markers of the pancreas. Some have joint pain and they don't know their joint pain is actually 
antibodies against their cartilage. Some have neurological symptoms, and they don't know they have antibodies against their nerve sheath called myelin. But the majority of thyroid patients we check, definitely more than half, um, have antibodies to other tissues. Now, here's just an interesting thing. When they take iodine, so let's say you have a patient that comes in, they have antibodies against their nerve sheath in their brain called myelin, and they have antibodies against their pancreas, islet cells. What we see is when they take iodine, we see their antibody levels skyrocket, and we see their autoimmunity flare up. And which antibodies do you think show up? They all show up. So now you have someone who has some subtle type 1 diabetes and some violent antibodies that take iodine, and they may not notice much of a difference, and then they, they end up having promotion of their other autoimmunity. So this becomes a really critical issue where you're thinking, listen, the reason you're suffering from your thyroid symptoms isn't necessarily because you're iodine deficient. It's really because you have, you know, this, this uh, autoimmune reaction and you're feeding a trigger that essentially increases the target protein site which then creates this autoimmune flare-up, and then that's and then that has collateral and all these other tissues. So, um, and sadly, now, this the person, stuff is over the counter. So people will run out and they'll get these five milligram, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh my god, they're like, oh, I feel great, I have so, so much energy, but you're like, yeah, but you're so anxious, the anxiety is like through the roof. <laughs> right. So uh, there is when you take iodine. So let me explain a couple other things. Too. There are some people who take iodine and say, I feel wonderful. I feel fantastic. And you have to understand that um, sometimes when you take iodine, you actually have a subtle autoimmune inflammatory reaction. And the autoimmune inflammatory reaction breaks down thyroid tissue. Well, when thyroid tissue gets broken down, you release thyroid hormones in the bloodstream. So you do have a sense of feeling better. Oh, my gosh. Say that again. I can't tell you the number of times we we hear people messing with iodine. Please say that again. Sure. So Hashimoto's is basically called thyroiditis. Thyroiditis means inflammation against the thyroid. And if your thyroiditis becomes very severe, it's called hyperthyroid, right? But most people have Hashimoto's hypothyroid. They have some degree of low inflammation. When people take iodine and they trigger their autoimmune response, there is this further destruction against their thyroid gland. So their thyroid gland, as it breaks down, it doesn't go into hyper, but now all of a sudden they get a surge and and the release of thyroid hormones from the tissue breakdown from the autoimmune response, and they feel better. Wow. So now there are people that get, to take iodine and have severe reactions, and they have anxiety and, and, and insomnia and restlessness and heart palpitations and all those things. But then there's those that have a little less of a severe reaction, and they just feel this little bit sense of well-being. I had a close friend of mine who was a healthcare provider, and he's been following me for, I don't know, over 10 years, and he goes, I got to argue, I have a, he, we, I talked to him a few years ago, he goes, listen, I, I like most of the things you teach, but I think you're wrong with iodine. And I go, okay. He goes, I have Hashimoto's, and I take iodine, and I just started taking it, and I never felt better. And I said, please, be careful. Well, the problem with him is he also has um, antibodies against his adrenal glands. And what happened within the next nine months is he went into an Addison's crisis. His adrenal glands failed on him. He had to go on cortisone, and his autoimmunity completely flared up. But during that time, he was feeling great because the destructive process was, was making a difference for him. Now, for people that do lab tests, we see antibody levels skyrocket when people take iodine. And antibodies, remember, they don't destroy anything, but if they go up, it attaches to more tissues. 
if you do have aggressive T cell circulating, it does cause further destruction. So here's the problem I have with, with, with what's out there in iodine. First of all, the research people are debating is not accurate. That's number one. Outside of research, we know there's the reality of clinical practice. So sometimes you have to use research to that you can, but then what's real in practice? Many of the people who feel better with iodine may not necessarily be doing the right thing. Even though they feel better, they may be breaking down their own tissue. And also, if, if they were to look at their own antibodies or other antibodies they have for other tissues, most of them will see their antibody counts skyrocket. So this leaves the position of what do you do when it comes to iodine and if you're deficient in Hashimoto's. And I would, I would say, don't take it. And maybe try to get some from your foods, but don't take an oral supplement. Certainly don't take high doses uh, or supplemental doses. So now the other researchers sometimes will claim is, well, you know, a high dose of iodine suppresses Hashimoto's. There's some truth to that too. If you take gram levels of iodine and you have hyperthyroid, overactive thyroid, you completely shut down TPO production so it stops the target protein from being made. But that's that's very, very high gram levels. And then at the end of the day, you actually shut down thyroid hormone production and that has long-term effects. And then when you go off the dose, you have this crisis because you have levels that aren't shutting it down, but levels that are not providing instruction. So I can see how it's very confusing for the average consumer of reading information and trying to do for the thyroid. But here's it's very simple. If it's not making you dramatically feel better, why are you doing it uh, for your thyroid? Exactly. Uh, so once again, you have and, to listen to yourself. You have to do that self-diagnostics. And, you know, no matter how yeah. smart everybody is, right, Dr. K? If it's not working yeah. for you, it doesn't really matter. Or so even you know, if go, it is so, working for you, like, like you said a moment ago. Right. Even, even if, if it, it is, that's right. For you, then you you Doesn't still matter. have to be cautious. In the long run, in the long run. I mean, that's right. crazy that's what right. happened to your friend. That's so important. And and I think that happens more than people realize, you know. They go for these, oh, these yeah. short-term, you know, um, boosts of whatever, energy, whatever it is. And But in the long run, that's not... You know, that's not a stable treatment. That's not something that's going to do the best for you in the yeah. long run. I mean, I think we're all struggling with this clinicians, too. We're trying to, because we see people that have iodine deficiencies, and we want to kind of address that at the same point. I mean, you can't have your immune system flare up and possibly be healthy. So Right, because you're fixing there. one thing at the at at the expense of another, right? It, it's kind and of like the, a... And the expenses a, much, yeah. You know, I've done, I've gone into, you know, I I taught so many practitioners over the years. They used to teach almost every weekend. I did that for, oh, I don't know, I don't know how many years, 10, 15 years. I was traveling every week teaching practitioners. And for a while, I was really teaching thyroid almost every weekend for a few years. And um, I remember I used to go into a room and go, how many of you have actually seen a patient take iodine? And all of a sudden, they lose all their excess weight. Their hair grows back, their nails look good, their skin changes, and, and as long as they stay on their iodine, those symptoms disappear. So no one raises their hand. This is across the country with practitioners. How many of you, then I go, how many of you have seen a patient at Hashimoto's go on a gluten-free diet, strict, and it completely change your life? And a large number of people raise their hands. That's what they see, right? So it's just what we, we, we all see, but... You know, it's so attractive because you think iodine and thyroid, and again, it goes back to, again, the thyroid dream. Take a perfect replacement, and it all goes away. 
or find the perfect iodine or nutrient deficiency you have, and then it all goes away. But it's not that simple, unfortunately. It's a chronic, inflammatory, autoimmune process. And it and it just isn't that simple. You're right. I mean, it's just not that simple. Hmm. I, I know it's frustrating for everybody. Um, people, practitioners, helping patients, and patients that are living through it. You know. But if you understand you know, the things, <clears throat> then you can deal with it. Right. You know, we have we like I said, we could talk for eight hours. The the cortisol, blood sugar pancreas, brain, you know, I mean, we could go through so many things with you. But can you give us, and we know we have to let you go, we know you're you're doing something amazing with Mark Ryan and, and, and your time is just so precious and we're so grateful that you have spent the time with us. So how about a few of, of Dr. K's, and like, like we said, we know there's no single answer for anybody, but any helpful supplements, and obviously going gluten-free is critical, but uh, any yeah. type of supplements or things, tips that you can give people um, to help themselves with, with their brain. With their their brain or their thyroid or. or well, the thyroid, it? brain, Hashimoto's, anything that you would recommend okay. for Hashimoto's patients that have brain fog. Are there any supplements that can be somewhat beneficial as a general rule? Um. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, there's. Let me let me try it. Let me let me answer this from a, maybe a different perspective. Okay. Perfect. Let me answer it from from as a practitioner, seeing patients come in with chronic thyroid disease or chronic diseases and brain related disorders from all over, and seeing very highly highly motivated patients come in. What have they? Make the biggest. What have I seen make the biggest difference in their case? What have I? You know, what Perfect. Is, what I love that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's so not, great. What a great question. <laughs> because you know the thing is this: what you have to understand is there's always practitioner bias. Let me explain what I mean by that. So hmm. practitioner bias is this: if a practitioner does something and it helps them, they think all the practitioners have the same thing. Okay. So hmm. if you're in Hashimoto's and you fix your leaky gut, then you think all your patients will have the same reaction you do when you support your leaky gut. I mean, that's that's what it tends to be. And if it was a certain product that did it, a certain brand that did it, then everyone is going to have to take that same brand. You get despised of doing that, right? So right. then you so kind of true. leave it and just go, well, what do I see? So here's the first thing that I've noticed. When I work with chronic patients that have either thyroid or brain-related issues, my very first immediate response and how they'll do their prognosis is when they come to the office, does the family member come with them? Okay? If they have support, it completely changes their prognosis. Mm. Meaning if we have a patient that comes in and, and they say, this is my spouse, they're here, they're holding their hand, we've done this, we've done this as a couple, we've done this together, their outcomes are drastically different than a person coming in saying, you know, my husband doesn't believe in all this stuff and they, he thinks I'm exaggerating all the time and I think I've made this stuff. So there is a psychoneuroimmune effect that technically gets ignored. Okay, so wow. having a having a support group is is absolutely one of the biggest factors unrelated to acceptance how a person progresses with an autoimmune inflammatory condition or not. From my experience, okay. Now, you don't always have the environment in your family and so forth, so you have to build it. Whether it's social media or you listen to 
your show or other types of things, you have to be in that environment where you get, you're around other people that can support you and help you, right? So there's Hashimoto's Awareness, right, that is out there as a nonprofit group to try to help people connect together and support each other. And, you know, there's all these different social media programs out there that are available for people to, to help each other. There's the Hashimoto's 401 group. And you guys have probably had all these people on your show, I'm sure. But it's important to have a sense of community and know you're not alone and to be around the people and have people you can talk to and ask questions. But the problem that we're also seeing is on these, a lot of these social media forums is they're so negative. And mm. if it's a negative forum, you mm. can't be on it because it's, it's going to make you Amen. unhealthy. It's going to make you angry. That's right? not so you support, have to, right? You have to I'm, so glad you, I'm so glad you said that because that's such yeah. a big thing. And to come from you, that, that really uh, hits home for a lot of people, but hopefully a lot of the listeners. So, yeah. so let me explain a couple of things on research. Support really is not quick, negative, too. right? Support is not negative. <laughs> no, I so, love that. <laughs> support, makes all the, support makes all the difference in your outcomes. Do you know that if you actually visit a physician and they touch you or hug you or ask how you feel, you, you'll statistically do better than if they just give you close questions. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's also studies that show if you're, if you're, if you're seeing words that are mm-hmm. negative or watching negative uh, video clips, on screen, your immune system becomes inflamed. And when you see love and you see happy things and hug and connectivity, people connecting to each other, your immune system activates opioids and you get T-reg responses. Mm. So, so true. Unfortunately, that is so true. Unfortunately, so unfortunately what we have is we have all these patients that have Hashimoto's who are walking to a healthcare model where the healthcare model hasn't been trained enough to teach them what to do for them. So they're angry. They've gone from one expert to the next. They're not feeling better. No one's saying what's going on. They're confused and frustrated. Now they have to cut out all these foods and take all these different things. And, you know, they've gone to incompetent healthcare practitioners. They're frustrated. So they get on the forum and then they're angry. But then what happens is there's a negative environment altogether. And that is a recipe for autoimmune promotion. So I, so I guess to answer the question, but besides you think of supplements, just think about the environment and community that you have. And if it's not healthy, if it's negative, you need to stay away from it. And if it's positive, that's only going to help you with your condition. That's more important than vitamin D, glutamine, or selenium, or iodine, mm, or so true. any of these things. You know, so we tend to think we'll supplement our way out of it. So, and I got to be, you know, I, I kind of have been thinking with a supplement person because I wrote a book and I mentioned a lot of supplements related to conditions. Um, but in my own practice, supplements are the last. Thing we do. We always talk about um, the second neuroimmune response first. And then the other key thing that I think people neglect is in supplements, which is blood sugar stability. That's a huge thing. And if people don't stabilize their blood sugar, it makes the biggest difference in their in their autoimmunity. And the third thing that is not related to a supplement <laughs> is um, uh, exercise. <laughs> and, I'm not, and I'm saying exercise to get a six-pack, okay? But just Getting Wait, an gentle, opioid gentle. response. <laughs> Get moving. Just, just move. Just move. Changes your opioid response, right? right? So, right. just uh, going, doing something you like to do that gives you that little bit of exercise high, even though you know. So people tend to think exercise means I have to go to the gym every day on the treadmill, right. do something I hate, get bored on my. That Excessive. doesn't have to be that. So for auto, so for autoimmunity, even even some exercise makes a difference. But what the research is showing for our autoimmune responses. 
brief burst of high intensity for short periods of time, for short periods of time, have a very profound autoimmune modulating effect. So mm-hmm. just doing, um, like I had, there's there's an app out there called 7-Minute Workout, and there's a one-page 7-Minute Workout. And basically, you see a clip, and it says, do jumping jacks for 30 seconds, as many as you can. And then it gives you a little break, and then it says, do, you know, an air squat for as long as, for 30 seconds, and then do, you know, whatever. So even with people that don't have a high degree of fitness, they can just do like a quick seven-minute workout and completely change their autoimmune response for the rest of the day. And mm, uh, hey, that so, is really great. What a great tip. So, <laughs> so what I would say is, and by the way, these things have a huge impact on the brain. And this is these are actually some of the same steps we talk about when we teach people how to do their brain rehabilitation and, and brain rehab when the Hashimoto's because they overlap. But having healthy community that's positive, staying away from negative communities. Having a um, having a focus on not letting the blood sugar drop or or have an insulin surge. So the key thing with that is, when you eat, there should be no change in your energy. And if there is, you need to play with your diet, food choices to figure out what take what it takes for you to not get tired after you eat, and not crave sugar after you eat, and not crash in the middle of the afternoon. And that could be frequency of how often you eat with the types of foods you eat. And the third thing is just get like a seven-minute workout in. Those three things will have much more of a profound impact than, than any single supplement. So I'd actually would rather I love that. I do Look too. What no, a no, no cupboard oh, level of expensive it. supplements and, and just I those are it. just awesome. That is, now, that is, that is the ultimate add, water that, field. If you add to that autoimmune paleo diet, you get a whole autoimmune recovery program that really doesn't cost you anything. <sighs> oh... That is Flowers. perfect. Flowers. <laughs> and Yay. you're going to thank you for it, right? I'm so glad you guys thank- appreciate that. Yes. Oh, this and we've been. Oh, we to were talk so to excited to talk to you. Oh my we gosh! Were just so like excited. little, like little kids, the candy store. We were. We we totally. couldn't wait. So, I want you to tell us, um, tell everybody a little bit about coming from you what the um, Banish Brain Fog program is that you're offering right now. Actually, actually, it starts on April 11th, correct? Yes. yes. So thank you for asking. So one of the things that um, I put together, so after I wrote my brain, the, the book, I, first, well, first I wrote the thyroid book trying to really get the information out to thyroid patients that they need to look at this from a whole different perspective. And, and that was the initial goal. The second part of that was, What's the next step they need to know besides that? And that was the brain, so we wrote the brain book. And, and a lot of Hashimoto's patients, thyroid patients, still have brain issues. But the problem is, is a lot of people would read the brain book and say, I can't get through it because my brain's not working, or I've gone through it, it's great, I don't know where to start. And that motivated us to put together um, like a video workbook training program so people that are having issues with their brain can walk through a structured program teaching each of the steps they need to follow. So we take it week by week, it's six weeks, and each week we teach different concepts so they they get video clips and they get a workbook and we go through certain things that we need to do that week. And some people go at their own pace. So even though the course is six weeks, it's the pace that we present the material, but people can access the material for, you know, as long as they need to to, to really get to some to, to really go through each of the steps at their at their own uh, brain demands that they can handle. So this, the Spanish Brain Fog course is just a course to really teach people some step-by-step steps. And the steps we, the steps I've chosen are the ones that have the biggest impact first and then the, the smaller ones, like six 
example, the things we just covered, like the psychoneuroimmune response in your environment and like that network out, those are higher priorities and impacts than, let's say, taking selenium, right? So with the brain right. program, we've basically done the same thing. The first week, we teach people how to identify which areas of the brain are not working, what kind of brain exercises they can do, we teach them how to do their own neurological exam, and then we start getting into more diet, nutritional, lifestyle factors. We teach people about brain plasticity, how you can develop your brain plasticity, things that get in the way. And I think um, some of the feedback we've gotten has been pretty positive. We, we did a trial run uh, a few months ago, and we had some really fantastic outcomes and responses from it. But also, this connects people that are in the program get connected to each other on Facebook, on our page, and that has actually been one of the things people have really commented about, that they can all talk to each other. And, and the, the, these Facebook pages we put together are always positive. We don't, we don't we just, we try to create moderators. We have more great moderators that keep the tone positive, so doesn't become a negative dump fest you know, where mm, you get more depressed awesome, going right. on. So when you, when you teach people some steps, you have other people go through it together, they have a chance to interact and communicate, it really helps them get through it. So I think for most people that uh, have constant brain fog, depression, uh, symptoms, they can't focus, they can't concentrate, they can't find words, sometimes they just need someone to hold their hand and, and walk them through a series of steps and they can really get some really big gains if they do that. The, the, the Spanish brain, brain fog courses really are attempted to do that, and it's, it starts April 11th. I'm coming over for a hug right now. I think you can heal me just from hugging. I'll take my it. way. I don't think people realize how much negativity affects their overall wellness. I mean, it's, you know, I don't. I think it doesn't yeah. get enough attention. So I love the fact that you that you address that and, and put such great importance on it because it's, it's huge. It's huge. It, it's huge. And, it, you know, to be honest, I'm not really – you talk to my wife, and I'm, I'm an – Did we lose him? Uh-oh. Did we lose him? <laughs> I don't know. Where'd he go? Let me see. Hang on. Let me check. We did. Oh, no, because he was about to say something really good. Oh crap! Maybe oh, no. he'll call back in. Oh yeah, no, call. we'll give him a we'll give him a few minutes to see if he calls back yeah. in real quick. Just, he's he's probably still something. talking. Right, he was saying something about his wife, and I I didn't oh, catch no. it. <laughs> right. Doctor K, if you can hear us, call back in. We want to hear what you were going to say about your wife. Even though you probably and I'm, have no and I'm idea. Headed, I'm <laughs> headed over for a hug. I mean, can you imagine? What a wonderful bedside manner this man has. No wonder he he is who he is because you can just tell by talking to him. And, of course, Seriously. I know people who are friendly with him. And I messaged Stacy during this and said, we're talking about you. And she said, of course, you know, oh, please tell him. I send my love because, you know, she has great <laughs> affection for him, right? So how neat is that? Well, and how how amazing is that that such an incredibly smart well-read, well-educated man would would deal with, right, positivity and it's just oh. simple things, right, having such a great it's effect on, on your brain health and your, you know, ah, that's just so important, right? It's just, and it and, hardly ever gets addressed. I can honestly say that when I'm in forums or pages or things like that that become negative, I leave. I can't, I can't, I honest to God physically cannot Take it, and of course you know that I, I can't. It's too I much. I can't, I can't do it. Either. It's like it's an instant downer, and I'm like, 
Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go take know, a nap really, now, you know? I mean, I can't do it. I really I just, think that, that there's something to that. There really must be, especially as you get older, there's something to that. Because I remember my mom used to always, you know, be very tired or, you know, exacerbated. And, 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 and she'd come home and be like, you know, whatever. And my my dad would tell her something and it would be negative. And she'd be like, I, just, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. You know, like, I just can't do it. And I find myself recently, you know, Travis was like, let's, we have to go to Wyatt school and talk to the school about something or, you know, just a family thing. And I'll be like, right. certain times I'm like, I can't. And literally physically when I say cannot, I can't, right. I mean, I physically, physically cannot. cannot. Right. I can't right. because it's, my body is just saying no. And, and nobody ever really addresses, you know, any of that negativity type things. And he just nailed it. It was fantastic. Because he does have all this information, he's got his brain, and, and he's got all this stuff to say, and he's talking about support and the people coming in holding hands, and uh, I just loved it. Me too. Me too. I mean, he must just have an amazing positive energy about him, and I just love everything, everything that he said. <laughs> we need to have him Me back. Too. I know. He's our new favorite. Oh, seriously, say it every right? Time. I yes. do, and and now you're doing it. I know. So funny. Oh my gosh. Well, maybe he has just figured. Well, it was close yep. to the end, and yeah, yep. I don't know. But he could also be talking because he he gets on a roll, and and you don't want to yep. cut him off. So maybe he's just no. Still, Sadly, talking about his wife and this amazing stuff that we wanted to hear. And we can't oh, hear. Oh, no. <laughs> well, his brain, his Banished Brain Fog um, program is, you can register now, and it actually goes live on April 11th. It sounds like it's going to be fabulous and very supportive. You can check it out at um, on my website. I think I also have a bit.ly. Um, I do have a bit.ly link, bit.ly Banished Brain Fog. So you can go to bit.ly uh, slash Banish Brain Fog and sign up there as well. And I, I just, I think it would be, you know, how wonderful, you know, after talking to him especially, to have him walking you through this course. And, oh, my uh, gosh. And holding your hand and supporting you all the way through it. I just think that's fabulous. You know, that's crazy that he said people that come into the appointment with, with their spouse, a supportive party Mm -hmm. or a supportive party right it can be your sister it can be anyone who's supportive i would imagine you know and not only that but let's just deal with brain fog and hypothyroidism and your ability to retain information sometimes it's just a a second person that can remind you what he said (laughs) you know exactly i mean not only for for positive support but also you know to remind people of of what he said and what you know, um, was going to be beneficial. But isn't that amazing that he has noticed the fact that his patients do better that come in with a supportive party? I know. That's crazy. I love it. Right? I That's amazing. It. Lots of lots of flower field moments going on. Totally, right? Let's go ahead and close the show. Um, we had a fantastic time with him. Hopefully he'll, he'll come back on with us uh, sometime and we'll We'll finish properly someday, but let's uh, let's let him go to see Mark Ryan and get that out there. Oh, I want to know. I want to hear more about that. Right, <laughs> definitely. And of course, you can find Doctor uh, 
K at www.drknews.com and the thyroid book, not the thyroid book, it's thyroidbook.com and the brain fog series and do it. That's right. <laughs> right. And as always, a very, very big thank you to our listeners. We hope that you learned some really great things today as uh, Tiffany and I you know, totally, we were talking and chatting between each other on Facebook. We learned so many new things. We hope this was beneficial for you as well. Don't forget to send in your thyroid thriver stories. We'll be putting more of those up on the Thyroid Nation page. And really, it's just about your story. It's not about thriving. It's about your journey and where you're at. And we are always supportive on Thyroid Nation. So Hmm, send that in. That's so important. There's a tab you can send that in to. Yes, Thyroid Nation is very supportive. That's super important. Be sure to check out our new skin and thyroid care line. If you're looking for healthy skin care, um, we have a whole line of Thyroid Nation essentials, just beneficial healthy skin care to support, to support your thyroid. To support your thyroid. And we created it with love, and it has everything in it is good for you. So... We did that on purpose. Yes, it does. We did that on purpose. So. On purpose. <laughs> on purpose. We It was intentionally designed with love, right? That's right. Make Support. Sure Thyroid Nation. That's right. Support. ThyroidNation.com, Facebook, Instagram. We will be blabbing. We will be blabbing. We will be. B-L-A-B. On our, on our, we will be blabbing. Yes. I've been blabbing for years, but now it's going to be recorded. <laughs> Officially. Officially, right. Uh, we want, Dana and I, it's so important to remind you that wellness is a journey. Uh, you even heard Dr. K talk about it. It takes continual maintenance and evaluation on your part, regardless of information from super smarties all around. Make sure to always listen to your own body and be mindful of what it is telling you, for sure. That's that's critical. That's critical. This is Dana, your thyroid nation, Gringatika from Costa Rica. And Tiffany Mladenich of Grateful Garden. Bring the collective voice of thyroid thrivers worldwide so that together, united we heal. What a great show. Thank you, Dr. Karazi, and we, we had a fabulous time. See you next time. Mm-hmm. Bye.